come home uh, and uh, just enjoying the time of, of uh, resting and, you know, recharging. But uh, I miss you guys. You know, it's just not the same. You know, there's no excursions to churches in the Dominican for some reason. I think that they need to start doing that. But as uh, we got home, uh, I think we, we came home Monday uh, and got got to our house about 3.30 in the morning with our four kids. And, you know, you go to bed and think they're going to sleep in, but not the case. And uh, after a few hours of sleep, I woke up. And this rarely happens to me where I wake up and I'm coherent. I usually wake up and I'm like, I try and feel my way to the coffee maker. And then after a coffee, I'm usually, I can think straight. But um, this that morning, I woke up and there was something just so straight, just directly um, clear in my mind as I laid there. I was like, I'd been reading about Holy Spirit um, while I was on the trip and just re- recognizing His voice in our lives. And, and as I was listening, I was like, the just thought after thought after thought kept coming, uh, kept coming through uh, along the topic that I want to talk about uh, today and just way more than we can cover in one day. And so I want to, um, we want to start a new series that we're going to call Adrift. Adrift. Uh, today, I just want to start with uh, session one. We're going to call it uh, Dangerous Waters. Um, drifts. Uh, drifts can be fun. Uh, I don't know. Uh, like last, um, uh, last winter, there was snow drifts. This winter, not so much. Uh, it's too bad because I had a snowblower and I barely got to use it. But there was, last year, there was these huge drifts. And uh, uh, I remember the kids playing in the drifts and uh, having so much fun. This was uh, a couple of my nephews uh, that were building a, um, a snow tunnel at, at my in-law's place. And even in our driveway, you know, digging tunnels and just having a great time playing in the drifts. It was like every kid had a hill in their front yard to sled on. And it could be fun. You know, big kids like to drift too. It's just different. It looks more like this. And, and uh, you know, it can, be, it can be fun as well. And as I was preparing for this, I was looking up some of these thoughts about uh, uh, this word drifting. And I, I, there's a, a brand new video game coming out as well for all you gamers that uh, last night, Zane, this was like his main point. This is all he remembered after the whole thing is that there's this new uh, game coming out called Adrift. And it's virtual reality of you in space and solving some problems to get back to Earth. And it looks super, super fun. I don't know what it's rated, so don't hold me to it. Don't buy it for your kids without checking that out. But this idea of it could be be fun to be adrift floating through space, but it's not always fun. It, you know, it's going to be fun to play in the drifts, but it's not always fun to be adrift, and, and I wanted to talk about that this morning. I shared this story before, but uh, I was reminded of the time uh, a couple of years ago. We were in Elk Lake. It's a place up north where we go fishing, and and uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic times up there. But uh, the one, the one uh, year we were up there, uh, I wanted to take out a boat, and and I don't have my boating license. But there's nobody up there, so I figured, you know, I can only damage me and the boat. So I'm gonna try it. And uh, uh, Wes had told me, yeah, go ahead. Here's how it works. And I, I hopped in the boat, and as I was about to go out, this kid named Dan Murphy decided he wanted to join me. And so he's like, I'll come with you. And he jumps in the boat. I'm like, fine, you know, it's only gonna be me and Dan Murphy if anything happens, right? And so <laughs> I thought it's worth the risk. Let's go. And so as I was out um, uh, taking the boat out, we maybe got 200 yards from, uh, from camp and the motor died. And I was like, oh, man. So I like start pulling on the rope and, and all of a sudden the rope just gets stuck out. Uh, and I thought, oh, man. And Wes had told me this can happen sometimes. You just need to open it up, recoil it, and then you can pull it and start it again. I was like, I was like Dan, don't worry. I got this. We'll fix it. And he's, he's like, oh, man, what did I do? But, but as, we're, as we're out there, if you go around kind of the point of our camp, there's uh, this, this river rapid thingy that goes down to the next to the next lake and so we're in that area and so as I'm trying to start this boat we're drifting along to this area and it's the one part of the 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 rapids where it's some really rough water that goes down and there's you can make it down there 
Well, there's a big rock in the middle. If you hit that, people have gone overboard there. And it's actually the only part of Elk Lake, uh, our campsite, where they've ever spotted a bear. So, like, this is like the, the, if there's a dangerous area, this is it. And we're sort of drifting towards it. And so I'm like, Dan, I can't get it fixed right away. So I'm like, Dan, throw out the anchor. He's like, we didn't bring one. And I'm like, okay, well, well, then grab a paddle and start paddling us to shore. And he's like, we didn't bring those either. And I'm like, well, get the bailing bucket and just use that. He's like, we don't even have that. And I'm like, oh, we're going to have to paddle with a fishing rod. I'm like, this, is the, this isn't going to work. And so I'm like, don't worry, Dan, we got it. And as we continue to drift, I'm like feverishly working on the engine. And, and then after about 30 seconds, all I hear behind me is a big splash. And I look around and Dan's clothes are there, but not Dan. He had jumped overboard. I thought, chicken, he's just going to save himself, right? I'm like, what, guy, what kind of good guy is this? Right? I thought better of him. But then as he bobs his head back up, I'm like, Dan, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to swim us to shore. And he, he starts pulling the boat. And I'm like, you knucklehead, you're not going to be able to just, just get back in the boat. I got this. And sure enough, I just pulled on the rope, started the engine with Dan hanging off the front of the boat. He climbs in. We get back to, we go straight back to camp. We could have yelled. We were that close to camp. We're like men. We're too proud to yell for help. So we, we finally get back there. Dan has to walk up soaking wet, carrying his clothes. That's about the worst thing that happened in this whole trip was the guys laughing at him and, and him a little embarrassed, whatever. But that was, about, that was about all the danger that happened. And as I was thinking about what got me thinking about this is that when we were in the Dominican, uh, uh, we are at this resort where you don't have to make any food yourself. It's pretty awesome. So I was just in this omelet line, and, and there was a girl that uh, they had flown in the same plane with us down there. They're on the same bus to the resort. And so we kind of crossed paths every once in a while with her and her um, fiancé, and, and she, was, she happened to be in the line again. So I was like, hey, how are you doing? Just enjoying your trip? And just small talk, right? Uh, and then... Uh, we realized we're waiting for a while, and so I told her that my, some of my uh, kids had gone out on an excursion the other day trying to snorkel in these deep waves, and it was just terrible. And she's like, yeah, you know, I don't go on boats anymore. I was like, oh, no, really? Why not? And she's like, a number of years ago, we were a part of a sailing team, and we were sailing uh, just trying to circumnavigate the globe. And, and she says, we were down by Haiti when that hurricane came through that just took out, you know, all of Haiti. And uh, she says, we were caught in it. And she says, uh, the storm destroyed our boat to the point where it was uh, not salvageable. And we were on that boat for 18 hours, just drifting in the storm, not sure if we were going to live or not. She said, it was like that movie, The Perfect Storm, but we were living it. And after 18 hours out at sea, they were, they were finally rescued. And, and she's like, yeah, so I don't really go on boats. I'm like, what happened to the boat? She's like, we lost the boat. Um, but we, you know, we, we were okay. I was like, man, so, you know, just being adrift cost them that much more. And as I was reading through, I read the story of Jim Honeycutt, who in July 9th of 1960, a nice sunny day, decided to go out uh, on the Niagara River just for a cruise. And as he was uh, out there on his boat, he went past this bridge. And he says, like the, the story, they talk about how all the fishermen in that area were just looking at him like, why is he going past that bridge? That's like the, the place where you're supposed to turn around. But he had no idea of the area that he was in. And as he went through, his um, boat ended up hitting, uh, hitting a rock and his motor broke and he began to drift. And as they watched him, he grabbed his oars and started paddling feverishly against the current, but was no match for it. And the current took him and his boat over the falls, and they found his body three days later. Being adrift cost him more than we could, more than we can, uh, can imagine. And as for some of you, I share this story, and, and uh, you wonder maybe why, but we may not find ourselves being adrift in a boat. Maybe you're like, you know, thinking next time, I'm not going to be like Mark. I'll pack, you know, the right stuff. Most of us aren't going to find ourselves in that situation. But what we don't realize is that there are many areas in our lives where we can find ourselves being adrift, and the takeaway point for today is this. Drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. Drifting leads to danger 
and potentially to death. To death. A um, couple thoughts for you this morning. Number one is this. We can drift in many areas of our life. We can be adrift in many areas of our life. I don't know if you ever hear this marriage, one of the places you can become adrift. So often with marriages at the, you know, when we go in through um, uh, talking with people as they're ending their marriage, I don't know if you ever hear this. They're like, yeah, you know, we kind of drifted apart. There was like, you know, we had the kids, and then after the kids were gone, we're like, we don't even know what to do with each other anymore. And it was this drift that happened. A buddy of mine, uh, he's a big bodybuilder. He sent me this YouTube thing, this YouTube link. And every time I clip, click a link, it's usually him lifting weights. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll, I'll wait. But I clicked it this week, and, and it was this old country song that I used to listen to that uh, I don't anymore. But this girl named De- Dina Carter, Deanna Carter, she used to sing the song called Strawberry Wine. You know, it's like uh, she's talking about, yeah, some of you are like, yes, I know that. You know, it's like, you know, uh, there was a few letters in a long-distance call. And then we drifted away like to the leaves in the fall. Yeah, see, you've heard the song, you're like thinking it now. Um, But this uh, thought of drifting apart has just kind of been around for for ages. And most couples don't plan to drift apart when they get married. You know, yesterday there there was weddings happening all across this country. And people weren't standing at an altar planning that their marriages were going to drift apart. But I'll tell you that they probably also weren't planning on how their marriages would not drift apart. They weren't planning not to drift either. And for many marriages, that's what what ends up happening is they drift because they didn't plan not to. You can drift financially. You can slowly drift your way into debt. And as I was studying this, I found this uh, ad from the St. Petersburg Times of 1922. Because back then, your grandparents' grandparents were drifting into debt. It's so easy just to sort of spend our way there. Relationships in general. You know, you can drift from your family. You can drift from your church family. You hear it so often that teens in church, you know, they start drifting away after a while. And, uh, you know, something that we, we I'm so proud of our youth group um, that is there to try and uh, keep kids engaged so it doesn't happen. You can drift in life just in general. Not really having a purpose, you know, not sure. You're 35, you live on your mom's couch. You know, you just, you lost a sense of purpose of why you get up in the morning and you begin to drift. And I think probably the most tragic is this one. You can drift in your relationship with Christ. You can drift in your relationship with Christ. And in all of these areas, just as with a boat, drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. Second thought is this. We don't always realize when we're drifting. This is the, probably the main thought this morning is we don't often realize when we're drifting. John, who was a, a follower of Jesus, uh, he was called the, one of the apostles. He wrote a number of letters. He wrote the, the letter, we know it as the Gospel of John. He wrote three shorter letters later on called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he wrote this other one that's not called John. It's called Revelation. Uh, and it was just how um, uh, about 65 years after um, Jesus had left the planet, John's a really old man at this point, and he says, one day, there was this day that I just had this vision of Jesus, and he says, and I heard him talking to me, and he explained a bunch of things to me, but before he did all of that, he gave me these thoughts that I was supposed to send to the churches in the area, and so he began writing this, and as he wrote in Revelation, he wrote these messages to these churches, these groups of people who were gathering um, in, in, uh, as followers of Jesus in different cities, 
And he said, you know, here's not what I'm saying to you. This is not John writing to you. This is what Jesus is saying to you. And he wrote uh, these letters. And I just want to share a couple of them with you this morning. He began with a church in Ephesus. And for, for some of you, you may have heard these things before. If you've been around church, you probably have. They're kind of they're famous scriptures uh, that, that a lot of times are talked about. But I want to challenge you this morning to listen with, uh, with a different set of ears. The church in Ephesus, Ephesus is actually, it's a real place. You could go there. Uh, today, if you wanted to, you'd find these ruins. This uh, is one of their one of their amphitheaters that seats about fifteen thousand people. Pretty remarkable uh, uh, building. If you see the road that's going along there, that that's the uh, I believe it's called the Acadian Way. And at the end, where you see all that brown area, that used to be the ocean. And uh, now it's kind of all been filled in with silt and sediment from the river that was there. But this used to be an ocean port. Now it's three kilometers away from the ocean because of all of that dirt that's happened. And, and once they were no longer an ocean port, they just became kind of irrelevant. But, but back in the day, Ephesus was a massive, uh, major uh, city. And it was at this place that Paul showed up one day. And he began to um, share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And people believed. And he started this church, this group of um, followers of Christ. And he spent two years teaching there. He's in, in probably a building similar to this. He would be teaching every single day in one of the um, schools there. And uh, it was said that at that time that the gospel, the news of Jesus spread everywhere. And there was all kinds of people that became followers of Jesus. His name was highly revered in that place. It was a healthy, growing church. So and after two years, Paul left, and he left Timothy there. You're probably familiar with those books. Timothy was the pastor there. But John who uh, the, the guy who wrote these letters, he also pastored there and lived there for a while. And so John's writing to this group of people who he knows, this healthy, life-giving church uh, uh, and, and growing church. He wrote this letter, and this is what Jesus was saying to them. And it's a short letter, but it's loaded with stuff, and it's found in Revelation chapter 2. So if you can turn there, it says this. He says, Jesus is saying, he said to John, he says, give this message to the pastor of the church and let him take it there. And it says this, he says, I know your works. The word works is, I know the way that you live your life, the way you conduct your life. He says, I know your labor. He says, I know that you guys work, and it even has the, the connotation that you work, you know, your fingers to the bone is what we would say is like, uh, it's not actually true. But for them, it was they would work to the point of pain for this. He says, I know your patience, your steadfastness. He says, I know you can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. He says, I know you guys are committed to truth. He says, you have perseverance. When the going gets tough, you guys are still going. And he says, and you have patience and you have labored for my name's sake and you haven't become weary. I don't know if you've ever had to go for like a performance review with your boss. You know, you come in there and he's going to tell you, this is the day where he's going to tell you how you're actually doing. This is kind of what happened here. And he has this amazing performance review. It's glowing review for them. The, the idea of, man, you guys are like, you guys are doing it right as far as all of these things are going. Um, and then he says this in Revelations 2, verse 4. He says, but there's just one thing. You got all this stuff going on. You're healthy. You're growing. He says, it, it, uh, your labor, your works, your patience. He says, but, but you're missing something. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. He says, you've left your first love. And that idea of left your first love is this idea of just letting it go. You've stopped paying attention to it. I uh, wasn't able to get the picture um, uh, for this part, but there's, uh, my internet was down, but there's, um, 
as I was reading through some of these things where these were things where boats were adrift, I saw this place where these uh, guys at a marina had just kind of left their boats for a couple months in a marina, and they were all uh, talking on this forum about, about what kind of um, uh, mechanisms they should be using to keep their boats tied and moored to the, to the dock because their, their boats, big boats, had just drifted away while they were uh, not paying attention to them. They found all their boats out on, on, the, on the sandbar, and uh, they're like, you know, damaged whatever had been done, but they said, you know, the, the reason that, that they drifted away is they just weren't paying attention. They didn't come regularly to check up on whether their boats were going to be um, uh, safe where they were. And it's the same idea, this thought of, you know, you just stopped paying attention to it. You just stopped looking at what was most important. And because of that, he says, you've drifted away. He says, you stopped focusing on the first thing. And he says, all these other things are good, but don't let all those things overshadow what's most important. Don't let them overshadow the main thing. Uh, I love the way Stephen Covey puts it. He says, the main thing in life is to keep the main thing the main thing. Pretty easy to remember. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's what Jesus was saying to this church. The main thing in this church is to keep the main thing, the priority. Keep that the main thing. And he says, you know what? You guys have, you guys have drifted. And you can, he says, they're doing good things. But you can drift even doing good things. Even doing good things for God, you can actually be drifting. And it wasn't the only church that was drifting. He wrote to another church, a couple ch- uh, the next chapter, this church in, in a place called Laodicea. Again, a real place. You can see here the blue dots are the seven churches, that the seven cities that um, John was writing to. There was a church in every one of them. You see Ephesus here. Laodicea is this blue dot between the two yellow dots. And Laodicea was um, uh, uh, one of the ones that's probably the most famous because he says to them, you know, you were neither hot nor cold. So I'm going to spit you out of your mouth. That, um, that's uh, that f- famous uh, saying. But um, Laodicea, he wrote to them. And as you see, um, Laodicea is here. There's two other um, cities around it, Hierapolis and Colossae. Well, Hierapolis and Colossae were both famous as well. Hierapolis was famous for this. It had natural hot springs like crazy, thousands of them. Thousands of these hot springs that just were, were um, naturally created, and they were famous for it. People came from all over the known world to this place. Colossae on the southern side was actually famous for its cold water. It had the water coming right out of the, the streams and uh, into this river that fl- um, flowed right to uh, Laodicea. But by the time the water got there, it was lukewarm. So when, jo- when Jesus was writing to this, they would have this understanding as they would heard it. You know what? He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you guys as a people, you're lukewarm. He said this, they would know, yeah, you're right, Hierapolis was famous for being hot. Colossae was famous for its cold water, but he says, you guys, you guys are just lukewarm. And as he writes this to them, those other two towns, they didn't even exist anymore. Laodicea, the people there would have said, you know what, those towns aren't even here anymore, and we're famous too. Laodicea was actually a really famous place, and they were famous for three things. They're famous because of their financial um, uh, wealth. The other two towns and Laodicea were all destroyed in an earthquake in 60 AD. This was written about 30 years later to them. But they restored their city with their own resources, whereas the other two places could not restore themselves, and they're no longer around. And they kind of had this attitude of, we can do this ourselves. We've got this covered. I can do this by myself. You know, it's kind of like our kids. My son thought he could cut his hair by himself, and the, 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 the end result is not quite to be desired. So if you've seen his new haircut now, that's the reason why. Um, less than desired results come from this idea of I can do it myself. 
And it's something that I personally am just sharing with you, struggle with a lot, is this idea of you just, just relying only on your own giftings or your own talents and, and just simply not trusting um, his strength or, or just, you know, trying to do things on our own. They were famous for, for their financial wealth. They're famous for their clothing industry. They're famous for the school of medicine that they had. It was not something very common in those days to have these, these uh places of, um, of medicine, but they had two things. It's this uh, ointment that they made for, um, for the ears that would help people hear, and they had this other um, uh, medication made from this thing called Phrygian stone, which was crushed, and they could rub it on their eyes. And would, it would help cure eye ailments, and they were famous for this. And as you read through Revelation chapter 3, um, God says to them in this place, he says in verse 17, he says to them, you say that I'm rich, you say that I have everything that I want and I don't need a thing. And he says, you don't realize. He says, you say that you got all this together, but you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, you don't realize that you're actually adrift. So they don't get a very glowing performance report at all. They don't get a good report at all about how they're doing as a church. And what's interesting is, you know, if you know uh, the rest of this story, Jesus says to them, he says, I challenge you guys to buy gold from me. You think you're rich, but you're actually poor. Buy gold from me. And he says, you know, he says the other thought, he says, buy, um, he says, come and get robes, white robes from me. And he says, come get eye ointment from me. And as they would have read this, and, and we kind of think about, why would he say those kind of things? It was the things that they were so famous for that they thought these are the things that we're, this is what we're all about. And he's saying, listen, I want you to get back to this idea of it being all about me. Here was Jesus' encouragement to the first church that was adrift, the church in Ephesus. He said in verse 5, he says this, Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. He says, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He gives them three thoughts, and I want to give you these three this morning as well. The remember, to repent, and to repeat. Pretty easy. It's kind of like shampoo, you know, rinse. Lather, repeat, the other way around. Lather, rinse, repeat. Same idea. Remember, remember, repent, repeat. This idea of remembering. And if you think, well, hey, this is something that was written to this church, you know, 2,000 years ago. My challenge and encouragement to you is that it may be for you as well this morning. It may be for me. He says to them, I want you to remember. And the word remember means call to mind. Intentionally think back to what was before. Take a moment to compare current you with past you. I would challenge you to do that this morning. What does current you look like compared to past you? You know, when you go on vacation to an all-inclusive, they tell you, weigh yourself before you go. Because when you come back, you're going to gain five pounds. Last time I went, I lost 20. This time, didn't lose any, didn't gain any. I was good. The other thing, too, is like, you know, you compare tan lines. Everybody's like looking at me like, you don't have a tan. I use 50, like um, 50 sunblock with the kids, you know. I just didn't want to burn. But I do got a tan line. You can see right here. I used to be this color, and now I'm this color, right? Uh, and you can comp I know, you're all jealous. Feel free. That's okay. You can be jealous today. Uh, but, but, you know, you compare. I'm like, okay, I, I, there, there is some noticeable change, I think, for the better. But I would encourage to ask yourself this. As you look back at your life spiritually, is there noticeable change for the better? He's saying compare current you to previous you. And as I did that myself, I'm like, you know, there's, this, there's these moments where I'm like, ah, I'm not sure. Then he says, not only remember, he says, repent. And that's where we, you know, we hear like, usually hear like really loud and like, repent. Somebody slamming like something and you're like, oh, scared and like think God's going to strike you. It's not like that. This idea of the word repent simply means change your mind. 
change the way you think. Uh, and this, I, the idea of, of, of the way that you think about how you're doing life right now, that's what he was saying to this church. They, were, they thought they were doing good. They didn't realize that they were drifting. He's like, I want you to change your mind about the way that you're doing things right now. I want you to change your mind about that. I want you to turn from that. And the idea of repentance is turning from something by turning to something else. It's not this idea of like, hey, you're, you're doing terrible here. Turn from that. And, you know, you notice it with addictions a lot of times, too, where people, they go and they're like, you know, I, I, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. I'm going to stop drinking. So they turn, they're trying to turn away from drinking. And by turning away from drinking, all of a sudden they're eating and eating and eating. And, you know, or they turn away from that and they're like smoking and smoking and smoking. Or whatever it is, one addiction just kind of leads to another because they're just trying to stop that one. He's like, that's not what I'm asking you to do. This morning's not anything to do with guilt motivation. If you're feeling bad, don't. He's like, all I'm saying is this is a reminder of, I want you to turn to me. Keep turning your eyes to me. And by doing that, you're naturally going to turn away from the other things. But you need to change the way you think. And he says, so remember, repent, turn from that thing. Uh, think differently. And then he says, repeat. This idea of do the things the way that you did them at first. That was his big deal with this. He's like, you know what? It takes zero effort to drift. Zero effort. If you're not, if you're not, uh, if there's no effort involved in, in the things that you're doing in life, you're probably drifting. The path of least resistance leads to crooked rivers and to crooked men. The path of least resistance leads to crooked rivers and to crooked men. And so he's telling them to do something. There's something where it takes some effort. And you're like, well, Mark, I didn't think this thing was about works. I, didn't, I thought Jesus did it all. It's just by faith. This is a series, so don't get hung up on this one thought. But here is the thought that it does take some effort in our lives. And not all effort's bad. You know, sometimes we think, you know, here, marriage takes work. That doesn't mean that it's hard work or negative work. It takes effort. You know, when you were first dating, that effort wasn't bad at all. The effort you went in trying to win that girl's heart, you know, you put in all kinds of effort. And you loved every minute of it. You know, when you were first at that new job, you were like working, you were like brown nosing, you were doing whatever you had to do, and you loved it. When the boss was looking, you worked hard. When he wasn't looking, you worked harder, hoping somebody would tell him. And it wasn't effort that you thought was negative. When you first started managing your money and realized, oh, I got to save and give, and you're like, yeah, you know, you, you, there was effort put into doing that kind of stuff. When you first set out on your life, you're like, this is the course I'm going on. You had vision, and it doesn't require effort. It was like, this was my dream. When you started following Christ and realizing, oh, man, I've been forgiven. This is incredible. The chance that I get to spend knowing the Lord and studying his word and just spending time in prayer and, and worshiping with your heart, it wouldn't feel like effort at all. In Romans, Paul wrote to them and he said to them, he said, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual passion serving the Lord. He didn't say just serve the Lord. He said, don't be lacking in zeal when you serve the Lord and never lose your passion while serving the Lord. And this is what Jesus was saying to this church. Do the things that you did at first. What were the first things that you were doing? And if you ask Jesus, you know, hey, Jesus, what's the main thing? You know, then people did. They asked him, what's the most important? And he said this, love the Lord your God with all. Love him with all your heart. And this is what this reminder to this church is that come back to loving me with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, Jesus said to the disciples, too, he's like, I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love each other the way that I love you. This is what it means to, to, to do the first works. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, it ends with this. 
uh, if again, says any, oh, oh, cool. They, they changed it for me. Sweet. He says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. You know, in different versions, whatever you read, it says, he who has ears to hear. Do you know that that wasn't for just back then? That was for right now, today? That anyone, any man, any woman who hears this morning, not just hears what I'm saying, but it's something that grabs your heart and you're like, oh, this, this is me. This feels like he's talking to me. That, that's not me. That's Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And it says, anyone with ears to hear, let them understand what, uh, what the Spirit's saying to the churches. He's saying this to, um, to people today. And, it, you know, maybe today is not for everyone, but, but maybe today is for someone. And, and the, the challenge is to just remember that reminder of coming back from where you've drifted from. It's what he said to this church who thought they had it all together. It's what he said to a church that totally had it all backwards. But the reminder was the same. Come back to where you started. Come back to me. You know, we have those on our roads. You know, when you're driving and all of a sudden, you know, it's that reminder that, uh, you know, you're, you're drifting off the road. Anybody know what that sounds like? You know, the rumble strips, you know, either you're like a bad driver or you're texting or something. But it reminds you, you know, wait, whoa, get back to where I'm supposed to be on the road. You know, it's that sign that, um, it's that, sign that you might be drifting. And uh, this morning as I thought about that, I want to leave you with this thought. I want to leave you with kind of a little test. Because a lot of times we go and we say, oh, okay, we can talk about this. But how do I know if I'm adrift? How do I know if I'm actually drifting? You know, back in the day, Jeff Foxworthy had that thing, you know, you might be a redneck. How do you know if you're a redneck? Well, he gave you some things, you know. If this, this, and this, you might be a redneck, right? Like if, you know, grade six was the best four years of your life, you might be a redneck, right? Things like that. This morning, I want to give you a couple thoughts. And this is not from the Bible, and this is not like doctrine, and, and don't send me an email later saying, you know, I didn't find that in the Bible. It's just a thought. And it may not even be that you're like, well, you know, that doesn't apply to me. It might not, but it might. And so that's why I want to ask it this morning. For marriage, for those of you who are married, you could be drifting right now into dangerous waters in your marriage. Here's a few of the thoughts. If your conversations with your spouse only revolve around your kids, the house, and your daily life, you might be drifting. If you struggle with what to talk about when it's just the two of you alone together, you might be drifting. If you've given up on having date nights because they're just too hard to plan or you have to plan them all yourself, you might be drifting. If your social lives are becoming increasingly separate, you might be drifting. If you're not putting effort into deepening your marriage relationship, you might be drifting. If everything just seems like it's going so well, you don't actually have to put any effort in, you might actually be drifting. If you stopped arguing, you might actually be drifting. Financially, you could be drifting into debt, dangerous debt. If you're not tracking your spending, you might be drifting. If you don't have a financial plan on how to use your money, you might be drifting. If you're only paying the minimum balance on your credit card, you might be drifting into dangerous waters. And probably this last one, the most important, most tragic is the drifting in our relationship with Christ. I would hate to have at the end of my life to hear that, you know, uh, that, just think about that. At the end of, at, at, at some point in your marriage, it's tragic to hear those words when we've just drifted apart. It's even more tragic to hear in a relationship with Christ where you think everything was fine and we get to that place, he's like, ah, you know, you're adrift. And he reminds us with these thoughts, you know, if you no longer study his word to know him, you might be drifting. If you're not connecting with him throughout your day, 
not just praying, you know, but that idea of a conversation with him, talking to him, listening for his voice throughout your day, you might be drifting. If you're not amazed by his grace and amazed by his love for you, you might be drifting. If you're not regularly connecting with other believers, you might be drifting. If your faith has become a cold mechanical routine of something you do on the weekend, you might be drifting. If you're going through the motions, but not with passion, you might be drifting. In closing, the question that we owe ourselves to answer for each of us is that question, am I drifting? Am I drifting? And it's not a guilt-motivated thought. This was never a guilt-motivated intention. It was just a loving reminder from a loving Savior who knows and understands this fact that drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. And the truth is this morning, your loving Savior, your loving Father knows that potentially that drifting is going to lead to danger or death in your life. And it's that reminder to just come back. So what do you do if you're adrift? We're going to talk about that next week. You don't want to miss it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you for the fact that you didn't just leave us on this planet to try and figure stuff out ourselves. But you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit. And believe that this morning is... You're talking to me. I believe you're talking to others as well. Is that just that gentle reminder to keep our eyes on you, that, that the power would be of you and not of us, that we'd rely on your strength and not our own abilities, that we would seek you out in everything and keep you priority in our lives. We just continually need that reminder in this culture that we live in. Holy Spirit, I pray that what you started and began in each person here, uh, uh, maybe it's today, we're confident that you're able to complete and finish that. I pray that you help us to take the steps uh, that we need to take uh, this week as we're listening to your voice and walking that out. Father, I thank you that you never give up on us and that you never just kind of leave us on our own, but you, you, you bring that, that prompting on the inside. Help us to respond appropriately to that uh, in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.